Welcome to the Hoppy Retirement Show, featuring Amy Marks Course from KMOX and Jeff Sachs with Sachs Financial. Now, Amy and Jeff and the Hoppy Retirement Show. It's like a starter's pistol for this podcast. That sounded great. How are you doing? I'm doing great. How are you, Amy? I am doing well, and I see before me on the table here, you have a porter and a stout. Now, what's the reason for bringing this combo today? Well, I thought it would be an interesting conversation for this uh, episode to talk about kind of what words are out there in financial planning and when we talk about retirement, but also the confusion that's there when we talk about different styles of beer, um, because porters and stouts get uh, intermingled all the time. Yeah. Yeah. Because yeah, I've uh, talked about stouts before. A friend said he had an imperial stout that he really likes. And I nod like, oh, yeah, yeah I get it. Good. Oh, and that's a porter. That's excellent. Yep. And in the back of my mind, I have no idea what the difference is. Right. And if you look at the table, you can see that they basically look the same. So today what we're going to do is talk a little bit about stouts and porters, the history of porters. And then uh, we'll talk. We'll taste the beer. We'll talk about it. We've got a great beer that we're going to um, talk about today. And then we're going to talk a little bit about financial planning and how some of the words matter, some of the designations, and what people call themselves when it comes to actually working on your retirement plan. Yes. No, I'm really glad we're talking about that because when it comes to retirement planning, financial planning, there are a lot of terms that I'm pretty sure I've just learned the correct order of words. Right. You know, it's like I memorized right. the right word order. And there's lots order. of letters, too, that yes. go behind lots of people's names. Yeah, so, and I have no idea what that means. Yep. Yep. So let's talk about beer for a minute. Sound I think like that a good sounds idea? good. Okay, I'm holding right. the porter now. That's what that's what I will be drinking. That's right. We're gonna start. We're gonna start with uh, the Grisadek Brothers or the Grisadek Brewing Company's 1880 Session Porter, and lots of words there. They actually called it a double mellow because it sounded great with marketing, but the Session Porter means that it is a low alcohol by volume. In other words. It's meant to be drank over a session, so you can drink a lot of them. Um, and this isn't a recipe. It's an 1880 recipe. So what Grisadik has done is they, they were one of the first uh, breweries in St. Louis mm-hmm. and really started kind of brewing a lot of, of beer and really had was brewing more beer than, in, than AB for a long time. Um, and a lot of things happened. They ended up going out of business after being sold, uh, and the family came back. And now I think it's the fourth generation that is running uh, the company, and they're brewing the beer, the recipes from the original Grisadik Brothers Brewery, which is pretty neat. So this beer um, is a typical porter. Um, it's a dark beer. Uh, it has a little bit of a multi characteristic to it. So if you taste it, um, you'll you'll notice that it's it's not um, as smooth as what the stout is going to taste like, okay. but it's still pretty good. So we're going to give it a shot. Yeah, there's a depth to it. Yeah. Um, and they, they add a lot of uh, interesting things into it, which we can get into. But I think porters in general are interesting because it is the original beer, one of the original beers uh, that was brewed once uh, brewing started happening in the 17 and 1800s as beer became darker. It was the first beer uh, to really take over the world. Um, by the 18th century, it was everywhere from Ireland uh, to North America, Sweden and Russia, just kind of everywhere. And not only that, it was the first beer, the style, as brewing became more modernized, the first beer to be aged in the brewery and shipped out ready to drink. 
uh, as opposed to shipped out into a cast that had to sit and, and wait for a little while. This was ready to go. Oh, I didn't realize that. about. And so did the, the beers then, they did get darker over time, so beer was generally a little bit lighter? Well, it started out darker because of the way that they um, kind of uh, roasted the malts over an open fire, which caused them to be dark in nature. Mm. And so most of the beer started out um, in the modern brewing um, in the late 1700s, 1800s as dark beers. And it wasn't until refrigeration and even uh, further modernization of brewing practices that the beers got lighter and lighter, and then porters kind of fell out of the, out of the wayside. Uh, but before that happened, people started confusing what a porter and a stout was. Mm-hmm. So porters are dark beers. And then they started calling strong porters stout porters. Uh, and Guinness, for example, was originally called the Extra Superior Porter. And it wasn't until 1840 that they changed the name to Extra Stout. So it gets really confusing when you're trying to figure out which beer is what. So give the uh, uh, try okay. the, the stout that we have. And this is uh, Four Hands Chocolate Milk Stout. All right. Tasting so we'll give that now. a taste and see if it tastes any different to the porter. Okay, maybe it's because you said chocolate milk stout. Yep. But it tastes creamier or smoother. It does, yeah. And and that's really the only difference. They are basically brewed the same. The only difference is is that the stouts today are a little bit creamier kind of mouthfeel mm-hmm. and have that chocolate tones to them. Now, would it taste smoother even if it wasn't a milk stout? It still would okay. have that because they would add more oats and other things into the beer to give it that that kind of flavor. Really um, interesting. It is. So one thing before we move on to the to the the financial side of things, I got to bring my friend uh, Fritz Maytag back into the conversation. Yes. So if you've listened to some of our other episodes, we've talked about how Fritz was important in IPAs, but he was also important in porters because porters died out. Um, it really weren't very popular until the 70s, until 1970, uh, 1972. Anchor Brewing Company, which is now Anchor Steam, started brewing a porter and really kick-started the new porter generation or brewing, which really kicked off in earnest in 1978. Mm, so I love fr- way Fritz. to go, Fritz. Yeah. <laughs> round of applause for Fritz. Well, yeah. hey, we'll keep up the round of applause because, Jeff, we've got our all-star guest That's right. back in the studio, and that would be Jill Sachs of Sachs Wealth Management. By popular demand, Woo! you're back. Well, thank you for having me back here today, especially to taste some of these delicious stouts and porters. This milk stout is one of my favorites. So I'm excited to have tried both of these because I'm not so sure that I have as much experience with porters and stouts. I think I get intimidated when they I'm are. out. They're I'll, dark beers. Yeah. yeah. You think, oh, they might you be think, a little And bit you heavier. think they're going to be really, really heavy and really strong, like an imperial stout has got a lot of alcohol by volume. Mm-hmm. These don't. These are drinkable. Yeah, mm-hmm. they are. Well, yeah. um, and don't have to be intimidated then by these darker beers. And you also don't have to be intimidated by some of the fancy vernacular that we find in the financial world because I hear terms like fiduciary or an independent financial advisor. And I have this vague idea that I know what they mean. But then when you really start parsing the definitions of these financial terms, sometimes I realize, you know what? I don't think you have as clear of an idea as you think you do. So an independent financial advisor, it seems self-explanatory, but what is an independent financial advisor and how is it different from others? 
Well, that's that's a great um, starting point because the word independent is really key there. Um, there are a lot of different people in this industry, and this confusion has been going on really since the 70s when it was basically mandated that if you were kind of picking stocks as a stockbroker, you couldn't use the words financial planning or um, a financial planner. And so it's sort of built from there. You would think by now we'd figure this out. So the word independent is there just to denote the fact that you are not held by any company to uh, offer any specific product or use their specific products. So there's there's the the most restrictive, I, I would say, and Jill, correct me wrong, if I'm wrong here, but a captive agent would probably be, or a captive advisor would be the most restrictive. Right, right. That's typically referring to somebody who works at a company who has their own products. And so they're, of course, encouraged to use those programs in their planning. So, yeah, that would definitely be the most most restrictive. Yeah. So there's limits then on like a bigger company like that, a captive advisor wouldn't have the adaptability or the ability to really customize a plan? They, they, I think they would still have that ability, but their incentive is to use the products that are part of that company or that agency because they might be inv- uh, incentivized to do so. Not that they would do anything wrong for their client, but it's more like if I could pick A or B and A is a captive product, I'm going to choose A, even though B might be better. And then from there, from a captive agent, you kind of go to the larger companies. Um, I kind of refer to them as the big box stores, the big wirehouses. We've got a couple of them here in St. Louis. And they are a little bit less restrictive on the products they offer. But at the same time, because there are corporate mandates, they don't necessarily offer all of the products or have access to all of the tools in that financial planning toolbox. And that's why we like to be, I like, uh, Saks Financial is an independent company. Uh, I don't have anybody telling me what products or programs to use. And the same way Jill is with Saks Wealth Management, uh, she is an independent. Well, I'll let you say what you are. <laughs> <laughs> I appreciate that. Yes, I work with an independent broker dealer, which means that I can go out to the marketplace and find, um, you know, pretty much anything that I'm looking for or if it's the right fit for the client that I'm working with. So there's less rigidity there. There's less, you know, just a generic idea of what you want to do. You can really look at the individual and customize a plan and have every tool equally at your disposal. Correct. That's correct. And there's a level of due diligence in there to make sure that um, what we're recommending is appropriate and that the company that we're recommending is a good company. But other than that, you know, we kind of have free range to go to the whole world of financial products. And it really comes down in some parts of the conversation. It comes down to that word that you said in the very beginning, fiduciary. What does that mean? How does that help a client? Um, why should they be looking for somebody that is a fiduciary or at least has a fiduciary responsibility? And and I think that is probably the most important part of when you're putting a plan together, um, because that word fiduciary, people throw that out there, and we get people in the office. I have people in the office that say. Uh, what does fiduciary mean? And do you do this? And do you do that? They always start and they say, are you a fiduciary? And I'm like, I am. And they're, I'm like, do you know what that means? And they're like, no, 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 I, <laughs> no, I don't. No, I don't. For us, that really means 
um, a standard of care, mm-hmm. a fiduciary standard of care. Um, it means doing what the client wants and what's in the client's best interest. And I always sort of like to add on to that. It's not just about doing what's um, best for you right now, but to take a look and what's going to be best for you in 10 or 20 or 30 years from now. How can we be prepared for everything that's coming your way and do the best we can for that? And also make sure we have the right beer for you. No, I'm <laughs> <laughs> That too. So when you're looking at then what's best for you, what are your priorities? Are we talking, say, maybe your focus should be on money management or maybe your focus should be on estate planning? Is that the type of... No specificity. I, yes and no. So I, the way that we approach it is a little bit different. So we're talking about what you, as the client, want to have for your the rest of your life. Okay. Either before you're retired or once you retire and into, you know, forever for how you want your life to look. And because we're independent with both of our companies, we're able to talk about what do you want to do. Is it do you want to travel? Do you want to spoil the kids? Do you want to set up a trust fund? What What are the things that you want to do? And then we kind of go backwards from there and say, well, we have access to everything that is available for financial planning tools. Let's pick the ones that best accomplish the goals that you have. Hmm. You know, I remember the saying that with progress. Progress always means specialization. And I've always applied that to buffets. You never want to go to a buffet (laughs) that has sushi and barbecue and pasta because you pretty much know technically those things are available. They're probably not the best. Is that kind of how I should approach maybe my retirement planning or financial planning is look for specialization to make sure I'm getting the tools that best fit my needs? I think so. I think that there are a lot of advisors in in St. Louis and in the country that specialize on the first phase of, uh, of retirement, which is accumulation, right? We can't do anything unless you've saved money. And most of the people that we work with have gotten really good over 20 or 30 years of saving their money. So it's hard to switch from that to, all right, now what do we want to do? In a lot of cases, we have to switch to uh, making sure it's protected, but also using it in the most efficient way possible. And that's really what we try and do. I would add, when you're looking for a financial advisor, you really need to be able to say, is this person going to be able to meet my needs? Um, Some people have very... Um, I don't want to say simple needs, but you may just need somebody to help you with accumulation accumulation or asset management. Some people need risk management and need to work with someone who has some expertise in insurance. People who have a significant amount of assets have tax planning issues and estate planning issues to look at. And so it's most important to find somebody who has the level of expertise that you need for your specific plan. And that's why we're going to keep doing these so that we can address all of those <laughs> in future episodes. So. I hope you guys have really enjoyed today's conversation. If you have any questions, reach out to us. We're here. We're pretty laid back, and we'd love to answer any questions or concerns you have about your retirement. And you can give Jeff a call at 314-266-9845. And of course, you don't want to miss any episodes of the Hoppy Retirement Podcast. So check it out at kmox.com slash retirement. (laughs) 